I, I don't know about um, um, you, but um, I cannot think of a point in, in my life, 50 years, where uh, whatever suffering I was going through at the time was not directly caused by my stupidity. And that, uh, uh, that's a harsh word. We're not supposed to say stupid and all that stuff. But let, so maybe let's say, so I, I can't think of a time where, where my suffering was not caused somehow directly by my um, ignorance or my uh, lack of a, attention um, or, or forgetfulness or, or something. Um, I, you, you get the idea. I, and I, I think that if we were all honest with ourselves this morning, that each of us could probably point to a personal decision or a distraction that ultimately led us to our most painful regrets. So the things in our lives that we, that we regret the most or the, the, those difficult times of suffering, you know, and I don't want to speak for you, but at least for me, I, I can go, you know what, I, <laughs> I probably got to own that. Like, this is probably my, my fault. I probably got myself in those situations. And, and I think the only thing that really gets me through feeling bad about myself, that that's the story of my life, is that um, I remember that the vast majority of biblical characters who God used in powerful ways throughout the Bible are all right there with me. And like we could just go down the, the list. Moses got angry with the people and he struck the rock at Horeb with his staff, which is not what God instructed him to do. And for that reason, there were some other little things, but Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Like the thing that he wanted and waited for the most didn't get to happen directly because of his own arrogance and actions. The, the apostle Peter who bravely defended Jesus in the middle of the night, blatantly denies knowing Jesus in the light of, of day and probably the greatest regret caused directly by himself. And he knew he was going to do it. Elijah greatly exaggerated his situation. He made himself out to be a victim and then prays for death instead of standing in defiance to God's enemies. And so the reality is that most of my suffering has come at my hand. But that was not the case for Daniel. A young Jewish man ripped from his homeland in Jerusalem, forced to serve under multiple godless kings in a foreign and hostile country very, very far from home. Daniel did nothing wrong. When you read his, his story, the Old Testament book of Daniel, when you read his story, there's not a single thing that I could find to point to and go, yeah, Daniel, Daniel blew it. Like, like he did something, he thought something wrong, he said something wrong, and that led to his suffering. We learned some powerful things from Daniel about being a disciple of Jesus. We learned those things from Daniel's Story And really it's this, when a disciple suffers well personally, they stand for Jesus powerfully. When a disciple suffers personally, if you're a follower of Jesus today, when you suffer in your life personally, you have the opportunity to stand powerfully 
for Jesus. So we're going to look at the life of Daniel today, and we'll see that Daniel did everything right and still suffered, which really just proves what Jesus would say a few thousand years later, a few hundred years later, when, when Jesus told his disciples and followers, in this life you will have trouble, but, but don't worry because I have overcome this world. And he did that through his death and resurrection. So that one day the injustices that exist in our world would be swallowed up and made right in God's kingdom. And, and so sometimes your suffering is more about your witness than it is about your weakness. And a lot of our suffering, right, we, we feel like is because of our weakness. I failed, I did something wrong, I, I said something I, I shouldn't have, that wasn't very Christian of, of me. <laughs> and so we feel like our weaknesses lead to our suffering, but often our witness can be so much more powerful in the midst of that suffering. And that was certainly the case with Daniel. So, uh, Daniel was a Jew from Jerusalem. He was a young man of, of prominence. And we don't know exactly what his family was, what position and role they had within the nation of, of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how um, northern and southern kingdoms split the 10 tribes of Israel to the north and the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, um, the south became the nation of, of Judah. And we don't know exactly what role Daniel and his family played there, but, but they were they were powerful, prominent family in the nation. And then Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes and attacks and defeats the southern kingdom of Judah. And as they always did, he takes large numbers of people back to Babylon, specifically the best and the brightest that Judah had to offer. And so if you go to Daniel and read the story in chapter 1, it, it says that Nebuchadnezzar found the best, the brightest, those without any kind of, of defect or problem. Those were smart, they were wise, they were able to, to figure things out, and he took them back to Babylon to serve the nation there. And so the first thing that Daniel does when he gets to Babylon is refuse to eat the king's food that, that was ordered for these young men that were brought in to the kingdom to serve him. And, and he refused to eat it because the food that the king of Babylon offered to them would have violated God's food laws. So the nation of, of Israel, the Jewish people, they had laws given to them by God that, that, that told them what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, what was ritually clean and, and what was not. And so the food of, of Nebuchadnezzar would have violated that law and Daniel refused to eat it. That really turned out well for Daniel and his three friends, uh, further distinguished themselves above the other captives. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, that in every matter of wisdom and understanding, Daniel and his friends were 10 times better than all the others in the kingdom. N not just the others that had been brought from Judah, but 10 times better than all the other people from all the other nations of the world who'd been brought in to Babylon as captives. And so through four different kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar uh, and uh, Darius and then Cyrus, from four different kings, Daniel has to, every time a new king comes into power, he has to prove himself capable. 
And every time he rises to higher and higher stature in the nation as a man of great character. And that leads us where we're going to camp for the rest of our time today in Daniel chapter 6. So let's jump in there. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Darius divided. So Darius is now king. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and then Darius the Mede comes in. Darius divided his kingdom into 120 states. It's a big Babylon at this time. Basically was the whole world. He placed a governor in charge of each one. In order to make sure that his government was run properly, Darius put three other officials in charge of those 120 state governors. Now, one of these officials was this guy, Daniel. And he did his work so much better than the other governors and officials that the king decided to let him govern the whole kingdom. (laughs) Daniel, you are so good at what you do that I'm going to put you in charge of everything. You'll be number two in the nation of, the foreign nation of, of Babylon. Does that remind you, of, if you're a church person, if you remember being in VBS, does it remind you of any story? It's actually very similar to the story we're going to talk about next week, at least a portion of it, the story of Joseph, whose brothers sell him into slavery in, in Egypt, and then he becomes number two in the nation of, of Egypt. So Daniel is, is poised to move up to this position, to be number two right under the king over the whole nation. Now, if you have ever worked in a, in a, in a company, a larger company, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe um, the refinery or maybe aircraft stuff in, in Wichita, a bigger company, if you've ever moved up the ranks in a company like that, you know what was probably happening to Daniel and around Daniel at this time. But something unusual, though, happens in the story that really has never happened in, in my personal story. Let's look at what the next one says. The other men, so the two other um, guys who were part of the three that were over all the 120 governors, the other two men tried to find something wrong with the way Daniel did his work for the king. Right? So if you've ever moved up in a company, you know that there are people who are jealous of that and they want to find something wrong. It's like, can I talk bad about you or, or whatever? And most of the time, at least in my case, they've always had pretty good reasons to say he shouldn't do that. You know, he shouldn't move him up. But, but look what it says. But they could not accuse him of anything wrong because he was honest and faithful and did everything he was supposed to do. And finally, say to the one another, we will never be able to bring any charge against Daniel unless it has to do with his religion. Now, as I studied and prepared uh, to give the message this week, this couple verses really got under my skin. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I read this and I just like, oh, man. Because <laughs> I'm afraid that if people looked at my life and my work very closely, that they would find plenty of things that I have done wrong. I, I'm, I'm really bad at uh, organization. And then I let things slip through the, the cracks. And, and having an office at home is way more distracting than I uh, anticipated originally. And I am easily distracted. I, I even um, lo- lost two receipts. Right, Linda? <laughs> Lost two receipts this last week. So, so clearly, un, unlike Daniel, I, I do not do everything right or well. And, and I won't speak for the rest of you, but, 
But I don't think I'm capable of living my life so well that the only charge that could be brought against me is that I look too much like Jesus. Just for the sake of making the point, though, (laughs) what would happen, just in your own mind, let it roll around in there, what would happen if somebody started digging through your life looking for some incriminating evidence? Would Would they find any? Um, will they find any corruption in your life or your, your job? Would they find any area where, where you have cheated a little bit? You, taken a little off the top or skimmed some from the, you know, didn't quite do what you were supposed to do, but you got by. You know, the candy bar on the way out of the store, it was just right there and nobody was looking. What if they looked at your browser history? <laughs> Your GPS location 24 hours a day, um, or your social media profiles or pics or posts. But with Daniel, they could not accuse him of anything wrong. And think about that for just a minute. They could not find anything in his personal or private life that could be used against him. Now, now to me, that's crazy. Like, this is real life, right? We don't put on any masks here. Like, not the, not the masks, but the masks, right? I had to point that out the other day. Oh, it, that's not even up there anymore. You know, our first core value is put away the masks. Because a lot of times we come to church and we pretend like we're good churchy people and we do everything right, but this, like, like we don't do that here, right? We don't pretend or somebody that were, were not. When somebody can't find fault with you, they'll find fault with your faith. And, and so that's what happened. They couldn't find any fault with Daniel, and so they had to look at his faith. Because when Satan can't attack your behavior, he goes after your beliefs. Which, isn't that amazing how God works? Tristan, what was the song we sang right before um, communion? Even then. Even in the valley of the shadows. <laughs> right, goes perfectly with the message series that, that we're in. And then Trevor gets up to share communion. I did not talk to him about this ahead of time. And he basically, it was this, right? Trevor, your behavior doesn't match what we... What you claim, to, like, like, that's weird. When Satan can't attack your behavior, when there's nothing there to grab onto, then he's going to go after your beliefs. And, and so what happens in the story of Daniel is in secret, the two other um, heads the, over the governors, they go to the king privately and they convince him. Uh, king, you are an amazing person. Darius, you are the, the best ever. No king has ever been as great, as powerful, as wonderful as, as you are. And so we think that you ought to make a law that n- nobody in the nation of Babylon should be able to pray to any other god except you. 
So you, you see anything wrong with this? Like right off the bat? So um, in, in, in ancient kingdoms, we see this in, um, we see it in Egypt, we see it in, we even see it a little bit in, in, in Israel, we see it now in, in Babylon. When a king would come to power, they would have absolute power within their kingdom. They could do anything. And so what they began to think, they began to get very full of themselves and they began to think that they, because God, some God must have instilled them in that position, they themselves must be gods and they have power and so they, they kind of I mean, go back to the Bible. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, right before Darius becomes king, Nebuchadnezzar is condemned and he has to go wander in the wilderness like an animal because he didn't recognize that, that God was, old, like he thought he was a god. And so the one true God was like, okay, I'm going to show you. And, and then Nebuchadnezzar died. Belshazzar, his son, becomes king of, of, of the nation. And, and, and there's writing. A hand appears while they're having dinner. And it writes these words on the, on the wall. And Daniel is called in to interpret what it says. And he comes in and he says, he says look, you're pretending after you saw what happened to your dad and what God did to your dad, you're pretending as though you're a God as well and so God has measured you and, and you're going to lose the kingdom. And within 24 hours, Belshazzar is dead and Darius the Mede becomes king and, and then Daniel is working his way up the ranks under Darius. So these two guys come in, they convince Darius that he is so amazing and so wonderful that nobody in the whole nation of Babylon should be able to pray to any of their thousands of gods except to Darius. Now here's what I find really interesting about this story. Darius is planning to make Daniel number two in the whole nation of Babylon. But when it comes to this law where Darius is going to basically say, I'm the God of gods, and you all have to pray only to me. He doesn't check with his number two. He, he doesn't go to Daniel and go, hey, hey, Daniel, I'm getting ready to make you number two in the nation, and so here's what these other two guys said. What do you think about it? Because you know what Daniel would have said, right? Right? He just said, look, Nebuchadnezzar lost his life because of this, and Belshazzar lost his life because of this, and Darius, you're dangerously close to that. Like, this is a terrible, terrible idea. But that's not what happened. And so the other two men, they convinced the king to sign the law behind closed doors, and then it's posted, and Daniel hears about it. Now, now, you know, if, if the king would have asked Daniel what he thought, he, Daniel would have vetoed the, the bill, and, and you know the story, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so Daniel's God and his worship of God, because the king didn't pay attention to good advice, the worship of God was outlawed in Babylon. So what did Daniel do, Right? Daniel has always done the right thing, and now even his prayers to God have been outlawed. He can't pray to God. Here's what happened. Daniel heard about the law, but when he returned home, he went upstairs and he prayed in front of the window that faced Jerusalem. And he did this in the same way that he has always done. He knelt down in prayer three times a day, giving thanks to God. 
Now, if you've heard Adam Avey get up and share communion talks or you've talked to him um, outside of, uh, of church or, or whatever, you know that Adam is, um, really pays attention to what's happening in the political uh, world and the political realm, right, right Sarah? <laughs> yes, he does. And, and so um, what he's pointed out to me several times and maybe to you too is that just because a law is made doesn't make it moral. There's a lot of laws in our nation that are, that are laws that we're supposed to follow, but they are not moral laws. And I think the, the one that is the clearest example is abortion. Abortion is legal. You could do it. It is not against the law, but is absolutely not a moral law. But look at what Daniel does when he, when he hears about this law. So, right, he heard. Right, the first thing that happened is somebody said, hey, Daniel, did you, did you hear about what Darius just did? But what I find interesting is that verse 10, it, it, it says that it, like, he didn't cause a scene. He didn't go storming into the king and go, you are an idiot. What are you thinking? Daniel didn't protest. He didn't demand that his rights be met. I have the right to pray to whoever I want to. He didn't write a strongly letter, worded letter to his representative. <laughs> he heard about this new law. And then I'm going to make up a word for you today. You've never heard it before. But he heard the law and then he habit, habited. That's a new one. You can use it if you want to. <laughs> he habited. And, and I use that word just because it starts with, a, with an H. Daniel went home. And he got on his knees in front of the windows in his house that faced west towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to God. He did the exact thing that he had done every day since he was a boy back in Jerusalem. He did the same thing that he did under King Nebuchadnezzar, who was, did not worship God, the God of the Jews anyway. He did the same thing that he did under Belshazzar. And, he, and he's doing the same thing under Darius. He, he violated man's law because man's law violated God's law. He violated man's law because it violated God's law. What was God's law? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so Daniel continued his habit. To pray to God every day. And because Daniel continued in his habit, he honored God. It says that Daniel prayed three times a day, giving thanks to God. And, and I learned this last week, something that, that, I, um, that I didn't know before. Did you know that gratitude is a synonym for honor? I did not I did not realize that. Gratitude is a symbol for honor. When you show gratitude towards somebody because of something they have done, you honor them. I think that is really cool. And so Daniel honored God by giving thanks to him. And, and then you have to ask the question, why? What in the world did Daniel have to give thanks to God for. He was a foreign captive in a hostile city thousands of miles away from home. 
He'd had to work his way up in the ranks of three different kings. And now, just by him praying, by continuing the habit that he'd had his whole life, he knew absolutely that he could face death for defying the law of the king. And at minimum, let's say maybe the king had mercy on him, he would at minimum certainly sacrifice his position within the kingdom. And so this is what what David did. He didn't run out and, and throw a fit. He heard, and he went to his habits, and he honored God. And, and so here's what happens to him. King Darius ordered Daniel to be brought out and thrown into a pit of lions. Now, we're going to find out really quick that Darius did not want to do that, but that was the law that he made, and so he had to follow it. But he said to Daniel, you have been faithful to your God, and so I pray, that's interesting that Darius, this worshiper of false gods, would pray to God that your God will rescue you. And then a stone was rolled over the pit, and it was sealed, and Darius and his officials put their seals on the seal to show that no one should let Daniel out. Now, um, Pretty obvious that, uh, that the king, like after Daniel had been arrested and they brought him before the king and go, hey, look, we caught Daniel breaking the law. But pretty obvious that, that Darius realized what a huge mistake he had made, right? Do you know that feeling or is that just me? It's like, oh, I can't believe it. I did. Oh, my goodness. But Darius had to follow through with his law. Because it was a law. Now, it was a really weird thing, that, um, and, and we see it happen in the, in the story of Esther and, and then here in Daniel. Um, in Babylon, if a king made a law, that law could never be repealed. They could never take it back. And so if a law was made, and then later, like Darius, he goes, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> I should not have done that. They have to actually make another law to cancel out that law. So they can't repeal it. They have to write a new law to go through this this process, right? So Darius had to follow through. But God miraculously saved Daniel. And the next morning, Darius runs out to the den, the lion's den, and he goes to check to see if um, Daniel's God had rescued him. Here's what happened. Daniel answered from down in the, in the pit, Your majesty, I hope you live forever. My God knew that I was innocent, and he sent an angel to keep the lions from eating me. Your majesty, I have never done anything to hurt you. Now, this is really interesting to me, because Daniel is a worshiper of God. Darius is not. He worships a whole bunch of other false gods. He believes that he himself is, is kind of a god. And so it's odd to me that Daniel hopes that he will live forever and, and says, I have never done anything to hurt you. In fact, Daniel could have done that. He could have hurt it. He was n- nearly number two in the nation. He could have damaged Darius if he wanted to, but he didn't. You see, all the years that Daniel worked for the three different kings and administrations that he was under in Babylon. He always worked for the benefit of his boss without violating his beliefs. 
That's tough sometimes, right? Because a lot, a lot of you work in, in, in jobs and places where, where the people that you work with and, and, and the managers and, and things, that they're not living the way that you are trying to live. And, and working in those environments, that can get really difficult. And, and Daniel knew exactly what that was like. Daniel had to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and prophesy some pretty terrible stuff to them. But he never wavered in telling them the truth, being honest with them about what God was saying and, and doing. He always worked for the benefit of his boss without violating his beliefs, even though his boss was not a believer. Does that change at all? How we think of our own jobs and the way that we work in our companies and for the people we work for? And, and so, um, look, look what happens. Look what happens next. King Darius then sent this message to all the people of every nation and race in the world that was under the rule and reign of Babylon. Greetings to all of you. I command everyone in my kingdom to worship and honor the God of Daniel. He is the living God, the one who lives forever. His power and his kingdom will never end. He rescues people and he sets them free by working great miracles. Daniel's God has rescued him from the power of the lions. And all went well for Daniel while Darius was king and even when Cyrus the Persian comes next. When we can see our suffering as personally and then collectively beneficial, it helps us walk through it with greater strength. And, and, and here's why. Because every disciple who stands up under suffering, strengthens others to do the same. When, when you're at your job and they're doing things that, are, it, that aren't right and you have the opportunity or the option to either join in with that or, or to, to stand up for your convictions and your faith, when you stand up under that suffering, you strengthen others to do the same. When we share the stories in our lives of, of how like crummy things have happened and we have not lost our faith and that maybe it has even helped us to hold on to that faith more tightly, it strengthens the faith of those around us. And so Daniel's suffering, though it was not brought about by anything that Daniel did wrong, Instead, it happened because Daniel did everything right, and he still suffered, which totally blows the myth out of the water, that if you do everything right, and you live the way you're supposed to, and if you just follow God, and you just give your life to Jesus, that everything will go right. No, boo, that is not correct at all. Daniel did everything right, and he's still suffering. But Daniel's suffering no doubt brought about the salvation of many people. 
Because Darius, a king who did not believe in the God of of Daniel, writes a letter that says everybody should worship God because he is the king of kings whose kingdom will never end. The whole world under the control of Babylon at that time heard about the God of Daniel. This Thursday is Thanksgiving, and you may feel um, like there's not a lot to be thankful for in your life this year. The last 18 months or so, um, for some people, have been pretty, uh, pretty terrible. The chances are, though, um, in your life, that even though crummy things have happened to you, right? I mean, we didn't plan the pandemic. We didn't plan to close businesses and, and all that stuff. Chances are still pretty good that our suffering is not because we did everything right. Because of some of our own choices and mistakes. And, and so uh, for me, it's kind of easy to look at the things I've done wrong and go, well, I, there's some suffering associated with that. There's some discipline from God associated with that stuff. But imagine suffering for doing everything right. I think, man, I'd be more upset about that. I'd be like, God, what's going on? I've done everything I was supposed to and it still suffered. And yet we see Daniel, who suffered knowing that it was more about his his witness than his weakness. So, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And knowing our own um, faults and, and failures, knowing that we're not perfect people, that we don't do everything right all the time. How about this week? We do our best to pray and honor God like Daniel did, with with prayers of gratitude. Even in the midst of suffering, prayers of gratitude and and honor and thankfulness. And and so to to help you get started, remember Scripture says that we're to pray without ceasing. We're to pray all the time. That's difficult um, for me even. That's difficult to do. And, and so um, here's what I've done to, to kind of help us to get in the habit a little more of, of praying and, and being um, and honoring God and, and, and praying prayers of, of gratitude. Um, in the uh, message notes online, so if you go to reallifecc.us, you click on my message notes, the link there, it'll take you to a page that has all the notes from the message. Day. All the scripture verses and all that stuff are, are in there. And what I have included in there are a bunch of daily prayers that Tim Keller, he's a prolific author and and a great Christian man, uh, daily prayers that Tim Keller uses to help him stay present and actively relying on God each and every day. And so um, go, go to my message notes, click on that, and you'll find all of those prayers listed. And so there are um, prayers for first thing in the morning. There's prayers for when you begin to start your workday. There's prayers for like noon or midday of your workday. There's a, a short prayer. I mean, it's just, these are very short things. Uh, a prayer for the end of your workday and then a prayer for at night before you go to bed. And, 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 I, and I have tried to incorporate these this week into my daily routine and daily life. And my goal is to start with his prayers and then from that kind of develop my own um, out of that. And I would invite you to join me 
um, in that. And, and I'll tell you, when, when you pray before those things, and when you consciously stop to go back and you, got, you go read through this prayer, um, it helps you. It helps you. And it shows honor and gratitude to God. Uh, Ian Duguid, in his commentary on Daniel, wrote this. What is remarkable in Daniel's behavior is not so much that the crisis of what was going on drove him to his knees, but rather that it didn't break his regular routine of prayer. Daniel didn't hide himself away in the inner room to pray in hopes of remaining undiscovered. Nor did Daniel immediately cry out to God for deliverance because of this unjust edict, which is probably what I would, would have done. Rather, he says, Daniel began by giving thanks just like normal. Daniel was able to suffer well because he had developed daily habits like prayer when things were going well and he didn't depart from them when things got worse. And when you look at Daniel, I, I think at least for me, I'm like, man, Daniel looks a lot like Jesus. Both Daniel and Jesus suffered for what they believed, not how they behaved. Both Daniel and Jesus were put into tombs that were sealed by the king. I should have done that, tombs. Daniel was a den of lions, but they expected him to die, right? Both Daniel and Jesus suffered because of their faithfulness to God, not their personal faults. Both Daniel and Jesus survived when they should have died. And both Daniel and Jesus were faithful in prayer. And so sometimes your suffering is more about your witness for Jesus than your weakness in looking like Jesus. But look, it's hard to be faithful to God in the valleys when you forget about God on the peaks. And I think that's what this series is about. It's like leveling those things out and relying on God when things are going great so that you can develop that habit to rely on God when things are not going so well. We've got to develop the habits we need in the valleys before we actually get there because of how, how we face suffering is so important. If you're in a valley of suffering right now, maybe in your mind you can trace that back to a decision or a choice that you made, a mistake, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you can trace it back to there, maybe not. But your suffering is not just about your weakness, it's ultimately about your witness. When you suffer personally, as a follower of Jesus, you can stand powerfully as a witness for Jesus. And when you rely on the habits that you've developed in the peaks and remember to honor God with gratitude, even in the valley. Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving us. And I thank you for the grace and the mercy that you give to us each and every day. And God, I ask that you would help us. First, thank you for forgiving us for our sin, our mistakes, our failures. Now, God, empower us through your spirit to live a life of faith. That, that instead of 
of feeling bad about our weaknesses that may have caused our, our suffering or our current situation. Help us to realize that in the midst of the suffering that we might be in or that we're going to be in, that our witness for you can be even more powerful. And so help us to develop habits like prayer, to every day be going to you in gratitude, honoring you because of who you are and what you've done. God, help us to to have complete and total faith in you, like Daniel, even in the midst of our suffering. And through that suffering, God, may we point other people to your son, Jesus. We thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for this week and what it means. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. Listen, um, next week, we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna wrap up the series, actually, with a look at the life of Joshua, who got sold as a slave into Egypt, and some pretty amazing things happened, so I hope that you will join me then. Thanks for being here. Love you. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions, or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.